This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Farron Bish. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so, Farron, I'm going to ask you the first obvious question. It's the hardest question of the day because everyone doesn't know how to answer it. But I'm going to get you to tell the internet who you are and what you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not close your arm. All right. I am Farron. Mm. That's who I am. What I do is I just float through life <laughs> doing all kinds of things. I don't know. I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, yeah. master of very few of them. <laughs> so I dabble in acting. Mm. Um, I've been known to write a few bits and pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. Currently, I'm a dog groomer, so really? that's something completely, wait, completely wait, different. That's a very big <laughs> career change. I've also I've been recording some songs wow. lately as well. Is it in a, in a, in a um, singing capacity? Or, um, I mean, you could call it singing if if you're being very kind of <laughs> open minded. Yeah, but yeah, I've got a few musician friends, and I've. I felt inspired to write mm-hmm. something because I've kind of, I think everyone has this dream that survived since we were kids of just being like a rock star. Right, yeah. Yeah, so I've kind of, the, it never died down for me. I've always wanted to be a rock star and unfortunately I have no musical talent <laughs> <laughs> whatsoever, no rhythm, can't hold a tune at all. But I was like, well, I know people that can do those <laughs> things. <laughs> So I'm just going to pretend. So we wrote a few songs. Mm. They did all the the hard stuff, you know, like writing the music the, the and producing and mixing and recording and all of that. And I just wrote the words and oh, kind nice. of yelled them into a microphone. Yep. <laughs> but they turned out pretty good. I'm proud of them. Are they anywhere? Can people listen to them? We'll see when I say I'm proud of them. I'm not. I'm a little bit ashamed of them. They <laughs> might. They might be up. Somewhere. Oh, okay. So they might perhaps they, <laughs> under a pseudonym. So. Right. So they're at like pseudonymous like mm. moments there. Okay. Yeah, but that's been really fun. Yeah. So, and then I do a bit of like arty stuff as well. Mm. I like my collages. I yeah. Do some little devil scratchings here and there. So oh, wow. yeah, I, I'm a bit. I do everything. Is the answer to your question? I'm yeah. Karen, and I do it all. I know, you do it all. <laughs> I mean, that's extraordinary because I guess you know that's not something that everyone kind of like sees. I guess from an outwards perspective, especially when you only do like you know people know you probably only for acting or like um you know like. I guess that, that when you're kind of an actor, your face is everywhere or, you know, like that that's sort of like the, the, the side. Whereas when you're doing all these other things, it's kind of like less in the forefront and more in the kind of like seen yeah. but unseen. Yeah, it's my side projects, I guess. Which, yeah. like, what kind of drove you into the arts? Like, what, what, because all of these sound, you know, even with dog grooming, it all sounds artistic. Like, it all sounds like if you can actually say, like, dog grooming is very artistic because you, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, like, was it always like acting starting or then writing or, or music? Where, where did this kind of like journey start for you? Um, I've always, I've just always been kind of more of a creative person mm-hmm. rather than 
you know, lo- logical or so. <laughs> the logical brain. Yeah, yeah. So I have been writing since I was a little kid. Yeah. Like my mum always tells me stories about how even back in like year one, teachers would come up to her at parent-teacher interviews and stuff and be like, oh, my God, she's going to be a writer. She's going to be an author when she grows up because um, I just would – tell stories all the time and write little write little novels mm. and all that kind of stuff and then acting started quite early on as well just because I found a lot of joy in it mm. and um yeah it always just seemed like this mystical amazing profession that I wanted and then I don't know I just kind of like to explore that side of myself I think I admire all of those qualities in other people, like the mm. artists and the musicians, and I just want to be like them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just try everything, and I'm not really like great at any of them, but mm. I just find yeah so much joy in trying everything. Yeah, because what do you, what do you do for your like mundane job? Is that the dog grooming? That's the, the dog grooming is my mundane. And your, job. your mundane, <laughs> yeah, your day to day. That's the day to day slog. Like, how did that? Where did that come from? Was it just your love for animals? Yeah, I'm just an animal person. I'm an animal chick. I just have always loved them, especially dogs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's cliche, but just dogs are the best. You know, so, and I always kind of wanted to to work with animals as well. That was another career I wanted as a, a kid. I wanted to like work in the circus as doing oh, wow. doing tricks with the animals. Can I just say that's the coolest <laughs> dream to, uh, for a kid to have? Yeah, I mean it's probably not very. <laughs> I mean RSPCA. Would probably, yeah, I know they'd have a field day. Yeah, we would not approve of that. But yeah, so. It kind of has only really become a thing, a proper thing, this year, though. I'm still fairly new to it. Mm. Um, but it actually came about because I was really struggling with acting stuff. Wow. So, yeah, I was um, – before that, I kind of had a focus on acting. Obviously, it wasn't paying mm. my bills or anything, so I was working in hospitality yeah. and retail and those sorts of jobs to kind of get me by, and I just got in – a massive slump really over the past year or so um where I was just really struggling to find roles and mm. I was spending so much time just working that I couldn't make it to auditions and things like that so I just decided that you know I needed a proper career that wasn't you know pouring beers for people <laughs> all day yeah and so I thought what else brings me joy what else am I passionate about and the answer was animals Mm. and that was also a struggle as well because I was like well the people that work with animals you know they go to school for four years or whatever and get degrees um but then I found just like an animal studies course at TAFE Mm, okay and it was an accelerated course it was only over I think four months or something like that and you get like your cert two and supposedly that opens you up to to lots of careers. Wow. And so I just kind of I started doing that and as a component of like the practical side you had mm. to find a job somewhere 
and um, I found a job at the dog grooming salon that I currently work at and I just loved it so much just kind of seeing that side of it the grooming Mm. side and it it opened up a whole new world to me and I've just been kind of really really finding a lot of enjoyment oh my god that's awesome it's really fun yeah (laughs) it's hard Mm. it's so much harder than you expect yeah like it's not all just you know bathing giving little puppies bubble baths and things but it's really it's challenging and yeah because like enjoying it i think that i think that you know if you're not a dog owner as well if you've never dealt with dogs they have personalities like that like all animals every animal has a personality but i think with you know, particularly dogs and their behavioural issues, depending where they come from and stuff. I think it's 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 also going to lie different because I was a cat owner growing up. So cats generally are pretty good at surviving. Like dogs, mm. on the other hand, they actually go into fear more. Um, and you can tell automatically when they're scared of people or when they're like timid or stuff. Yeah. Like that. Um, and yeah, like I, I can't imagine bathing. Like I've tried <laughs> to bathe two different kinds of dogs and I know one ha- like loved it and the other one hated it. So it's very interesting, especially when you need to groom them and make them look nice and, you know, yeah. sort of like, um, I, I suppose it's not just like, it's are you cutting hair and you trimming hair as well? for? Or I'm the, doing like... kind of the basics at the moment. Mm. So I'm still, they're still kind of training me up. So I do, you know, I trim like their butthole hair <laughs> and like around their faces and things like that. But I'm not doing like full, yeah. full body dog clips, like the poodles. and Yeah, because they are intense. At the moment, yeah, with the big like puff ball legs and things. <gasps> not yet, but one day. It's so interesting as well when you see those big fluffy dogs come out of salons and they're like tiny because they're like their yeah. ratio portion is like mostly fur. Oh, it's hilarious. And then I they're just it. like... Like just tiny, slim little things, and you're like, "Where did all your hair go?" I do love that because, like, I think my favorite kind of breeds of dogs are like Jack Russells, particularly, which are, like are quite mm. short hair. But um, also, I love Cavoodles and you know, um, you know, like Cav- um, Cavaliers are also gorgeous animals. Yeah. But Cavoodle, like Cavoodles, are very particularly cute. They um, they're all the rage right now. They, they, everyone has a Cavoodle. I know they're so expensive, but they're so cute. They are. Um. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like Maltese kind of dogs as well are yeah. so cute. Like I just love like little fluffs. Um, Me too. But you know, like I feel like when you're an owner, especially like you know when you're an owner of a low shed dog, where it's particularly like they they need so much more grooming than mm. high shed dogs. And then suddenly, like, have you? Do you now appreciate <laughs> like dog grooming a lot more because you worked in it? For sure, I do. Yeah, I, it's it's a lot grosser than you you think you have to deal with some pretty filthy things quite literally Mm. and and also it's I mean you're dealing with lives every day and not just you know dogs but like people's people's whole lives are in this little this Mm. fluff ball and everyone cares about this dog so much and they care about its fur as well so it's a lot of responsibility kind of taking care of this animal and making the fur look Mm. good too but yeah it gives you an appreciation of I guess how many different people and different dogs there Mm. are out there because every dog you know like you were saying before every dog behaves differently every dog has a different reaction to what's going on Mm. and every dog owner 
also wants something <laughs> something different and has a different reaction to yeah to how their dog looks and how they want their dog to look and have you ever sort of experienced like the really difficult like people come in and you know particularly like high demand yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so the salon that i work at is in quite a like uh, a fancy uh, a area boudoir, yeah so we get a lot of people that are um quite demanding and the one of the limiting things about mm. the dog grooming is that you can only do so much with certain fur as well yeah and a lot of that has to do with how the fur has been taken care of before the dog comes into the salon. <laughs> so sometimes a dog will come in and it's completely matted yeah, through and through. And the owner, you know, they're like, oh, I want the, I want two inch hair yeah. on my dog all over, <laughs> blow it all out. I want like a, a teddy bear face, all of this. And we, you just take one look at the dog and you're like, I'm sorry, that dog has to be shaved bald today. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Because it, it turns into, like, a fleece, you know? Yeah. It's like the dog's wearing a jumper and it um, it mats over the entire body. And you can't brush that out. It's impossible. Mm. It's like brushing a woolen jumper. Mm. Like, it's never going to completely unravel it. So, it's it's tough for us and it's tough for the owners, but it's even worse for the dog, I guess, because yeah. they're suffering with that on their fur and but it can cause a few a few issues <laughs> with the owners if one I understand that it can be very heartbreaking for yeah. them. But yeah, it's something that people I guess need to to have an understanding of when you own a dog is it's more about the upkeep of the fur rather than yeah. just dropping it off at the salon every two months. I think I think it's like a it's particularly when I see huskies and like I love huskies they're beautiful but they're they're not designed for like summer climate of Australia mm. like they're just like look like they're dying yeah. um, in the heat and I always get baffled when people don't cut husky hair like they don't take them to salons to get really short hair because it's so thick like it is like yeah. that winter coat and so you just see people with like big fluffy dogs and you're like you, you monster yeah, like, dogs, like panting yeah and, no, like, i know drooling just, and... yeah and i just feel like the worst person to look at that and be like mm. yeah that's acceptable like no um yeah do you did you grow up with a dog though did you grow up with a family dog i did yeah we had a whippet oh <laughs> his name was spike he oh. was so cute what, uh, has he is he no longer around? No, this was a long time ago, and yeah, he lived a good life, but unfortunately, he's he's not with us anymore. <laughs> when did he pass away? Oh, I would have been. He would have been about probably about ten years old. Wow, that's. I think. Yeah, so it's that's but a pretty good he, life. Yeah, he. Passed in a traffic collision. Unfortunately. Oh, that's <laughs> that's the worst way to go out. Bro. <laughs> it was pretty heartbreaking. Oh, that would have yeah. been the worst for your family. That, oh, it was terrible. Have they got a new dog now? Um, I have a dog oh. now. Yeah, I have my little my little Bitsa. He's like a bit of a Maltese Shih Tzu. Oh yeah, cross with something else. I don't know what. But like a Bichon, like. 
I don't know. I think he's got like a bit of schnauzer in him. Oh, cute. He's a weird little guy, but he's, <laughs> <laughs> but he's my he's my son, my little baby. He just had his his tenth birthday this year as well. Oh. So. so have you had him for ten years or I've had him, yeah, since he was just a pup. Oh since he was just born. Yeah. That's his so name's cute. Dali. He's very naughty. Is he? Like, I mean, he's a good boy, but I like to tell him he's a naughty just to keep him in check, you know. <laughs> That's cute. I mean, like, what is do you find now being like a dog mom and in particular, like, just you know, working in a salon, mm-hmm. you're kind of more appreciative of like what you do for your own dog versus what other people, other, um, other people do? Yeah, especially because Dali is a terrible dog to groom. Mm. He's he. I lie before he's not always a good boy. He's a bad boy yeah. <laughs> when it when it comes to grooming. He, um, he just can't stand it. He like snaps and wow growls and he's awful, just the worst. But I mean, I guess looking back on it now, now that I know a bit more about mm. grooming, I think that's partially my fault. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I've learned this off of the the more senior groomers and everything, but I guess the best way to stop a dog from behaving like that um, is to start grooming a lot earlier on and kind of condition mm. them to it. Yeah. Whereas I was quite young when I got Dali. I was like young and naive. So I just kind of treated him like a little baby mm. and just like carried him around and let him get up to mischief. And I didn't, you know, brush him out and condition him to like being touched by all these different people and washed yeah. and everything. So now I think I'm paying the price for it <laughs> every time I try to brush him, he's like snapping at me. Oh, that's little shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that's always the thing as well. And I always notice, like, when dogs don't like having baths mm. or um, it's, it is conditioning. It is a mm. lot of, like, conditioning behavior. I think it's also, like, um, ignoring dogs. I found, like, particularly we were fostering this, um, we were fostering this greyhound. And Emily and I couldn't, like, work out why she wasn't behaving certain ways. And Emily's brother, Mark, was just, like, just ignore her when she does. She wants to play, you know, at certain times and it's not playtime. I just train her to know now's not the time and she'll sulk, but then she'll be fine. Like, let her sulk because it kind of, she need she was a, because particularly with, like, greyhounds, and if you own a greyhound, they're the most clingy dogs ever. They love to not be alone. So they always like, if you get a greyhound, get two. Like I always recommend because yeah. they, they're kind of like creatures that love company. Um, so with that, it's like if they have company, then you can kind of leave for hours and they've got each other so they can kind of like chill. But yeah, it was a lot of the time if we, <laughs> we did this theory where we went upstairs into the loft, which is where our bedroom is, and left her down here and she just started barking to where we were and moping and then just slumped to the floor for like 10 minutes and then suddenly when she heard a noise she started barking again and we're like okay cool you know if she's alone she can cope but it was like yeah she just she loves company she's not very good at just being left to her own devices Mm. um so it was one of those things that i think you do learn with particular breeds that they do require like certain conditioning and I think it's also like important um and I think this is like a, a I guess an adult thing you learn later in life especially when you've owned animals and stuff as like what you were saying you know you're naive when you first get a pet you know especially when you're young you're kind of like oh this is like a nice little plaything yeah but I think you learn the temperaments of like 
animals and like do particularly do you think when um you get another pet later in life do you think you'll sort of like go into it with a lot more training for yeah well at this point i can't imagine another dog beside dali yeah i was but... about to say <laughs> like he's my forever dog but also i think yeah i i have much more of an appreciation of of um training yeah. Now, I think I I did a fairly good job of of training Dali. He he is ultimately a good boy. <laughs> he follows my orders. He doesn't, you know, do all those bad dog behaviors. Yeah. He, he's pretty good. He's great around my nieces and nephews, little kids oh. and everything. But I think yeah, looking back, it, it's when you get a dog, it becomes your your full-time job to mm. determine how that dog is going to be yes. raised. And I think it's a job that doesn't really stop either. It's something that you kind of have to continuously work on throughout that dog's life. But yeah. I mean, ultimately it's up to you what happens to that dog and how that dog reacts to the world around it. So I think it's really important to kind of stay on top of that. And it takes a lot more work, I think, than most people yeah. assume it will take. Mm. And I think it's something that you've seen a fair bit lately in these past couple of years after all the the pandemic pups have kind of been growing up. Yeah. Because a lot of people have have gone out and purchased these dogs, Um, you know, because like you were saying, they're cute and it's like company. Yeah. They think it's just going to be like a little, a cute little teddy bear that they can like tote around with them. Um, yeah. And you see them all now. They're they're kind of developing into adult dogs. Yeah, and they've all got these weird little behaviors and traits and yeah, it's it's things that you you could have easily trained out. I think <laughs> <laughs> when they were pups, but I guess I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it gives you a lot to think about, but. In saying that, yeah, there would there will be no other dog besides Dolly. He's the Aww. best. <laughs> I always like, I always love that as well. Like with dogs, um, you know, you get really super attached to them. Um, I, sp- I always feel like that with pets, to be honest. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember, like, when my cat, um, he was nineteen when he passed, and so he was like, he lived, he lived an extraordinary long time. For um, I don't know what breed of cat he was. He was just kind of like your standard house cat. No um, one ever knows with cats. They're no, like they, 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 they're just cats. <laughs> but I remember, like, it was sort of my decision. We had to end up, like, unfortunately, just like you know, putting them down and everything. Mm. It was kind of a sad decision. But um, I do think that you know when when we sort of like did our goodbyes and everything, I remember my parents were like, "We'll probably get a new cat one day." <laughs> they haven't yet, mm. but I think like it, it's probably one of those things that I think once they're a bit older, they might you know like get a, a little like a a cat to kind of live with them for a bit, or you know like because mm. I think they always they like pets, they like they yeah. like animals, and I think they like looking after. You know, but, you know, like 19 years is a long time to also have like, you know, because they, they got them when my brother and I were like, you know, little. So mm. it was like, I remember, you know, being like, I think I was six years old or something like that when we got him. Um, And yeah, like running around, you know, five or six and, you know, just thinking he was the bee's knees, like this little um thing. But then get really annoyed that he wouldn't want to play yeah. like certain things or play with. So, you know, like. 
it's interesting when people go, oh, my cat likes to play with toys. And I'm like, my cat didn't. <laughs> None <laughs> of that. He didn't give two shits about any of that. So I had the very much cat that, that liked to kind of sit and, you know, and lie down and sleep um, and then play with actual living things, which was very odd. Uh-huh. Um, so we had like, um, but now he's no longer around. Uh, I think it sort of like made me really appreciate like, you know, I, when I see cats as well and, and dogs and animals that, you know, they do create that special bond. Like, you you know, mm. you do sort of see that someone loves them and someone's looked after them. But I also get very, I, I do think it's interesting because you talk about the pandemic dogs as well, uh, you know, uh, you know, pandemic owners particularly. Mm-hmm. And I think I like love and hate some <laughs> with a fiery passion because when I see that animal, you know, people have bought them and especially with traits and stuff that they haven't weaned out of them mm-hmm. and it is that plaything, I become very judgy. I'm like, because I guess what for me, especially when like I've, I've fostered a dog and I've um, babysat two different dogs. So it's like I've had three dogs in this house since living with Emily and we've sort of like gotten an idea of what like behavioral things that can come across. And when I see that people just ignore behavioral issues, I'm mm. like, why? <laughs> like, it's sort of very bizarre because I feel like most dogs, um, especially like most dogs can be socialized and very easily come to, you know, be less aggressive, especially when they're, you know, thinking that someone's going to attack them. You can train it out of them. Um, but a lot of people, when they don't understand the training involved or they don't bother, you can sort of see a lot of bad traits like, you know, like some dogs don't know how to play. So they just bark at other dogs and especially like height difference. Like if you've got a big, big dog and it's trying to play with a little dog, you've got to understand that little dog's going to be terrified. So you might think, oh, it's just playing. It's like, no, you've got to understand that your dog needs to learn how to play with little dogs mm-hmm. and how that might affect like its personality and, you know, and the little dog might be more scared and more timid. That's where you see a lot of owners pick up little dogs when they see big dogs coming. Like, yeah. And I, and I love little dogs. I love big dogs. I think the, the nicest time was when one of my friends and I, um, uh, we went out and walked out their cousin's dog and there was this big, massive dog, like, you know, you know, and he, this little dog was like down to here was a little, like a bulldog kind of thing. And those two just started playing. And she was like, the, the bigger dog was like a little, you know, like a youngish sort of dog, but they knew how to play together. Yeah. And she knew how to play with a smaller dog because mm-hmm. she wasn't using her full strength. I was like, this dog has learned how to play. Yeah. And they're just tossing and turning and, and mucking around. So this was very cute to watch. And the owner was lovely. He was like, oh, you know, most of the time people don't know how to play with her. They sort of just go, oh, she's scary and she's big. And he's like, she's fine, though. She's so friendly and she'll just, like, want to hug you and lick you and stuff. And so she's this beautiful dog. But it is interesting when you sort of, I guess, get, get these assumptions, especially of dog owners and dogs and like particularly that most big dogs aren't that bad. It's the ones that, you know, like definitely like greyhounds are weird because (laughs) most people think they are aggressive and bark. They're actually not. They're Mm. the most placid dogs. (laughs) They're so chill. They're gentle giants. Yeah. But it's sort of like funny because I feel like people associate big animals with danger. And it's, you know, you must see that all the time with grooming. It's like a lot of these big dogs and little dogs come in and they're very similar. And some dogs don't know how big they are so that because they've never sort of had that exposure. They've mm-hmm. never been like, oh, this is my own breed or, you know, like, because, you know, like what's your thought on all that? Like, especially with dog personalities and, and owners that you see around. Mm. Um, In my quite limited experience, I, I think... I've mainly seen 
kind of the opposite problem. Most of the big dogs that come into that I that come into my life um, are fairly good at interacting with other dogs and other mm. people, especially children, because I think most most owners who get a big dog are aware of the fact that they're going to have a big <laughs> dog, you know, so they, they start that kind of conditioning and mm. socialising very early on. The bigger problem that I've seen is little dogs that absolutely lose their shit when they see a big dog. Yeah. Out of, you know, fear. So they'll just start barking and growling. They'll try and climb you to get away. And yeah. I think that's another thing that could have very easily been been trained out of them by mm. just introducing socialization a lot earlier on. Yeah. But I think also in saying that, like I don't want to come across as too judgmental like you raised your dog poorly <laughs> but like i think obviously that's going to be a big problem mm. for for pandemic pups because how do you socialize your dog in the yeah. middle, in the middle of lockdown and all of that so i think it's a really common problem for dogs that are now yeah. one, one or two years old or these little little dogs that have never really you know had the opportunity to to go out to the park or go to puppy school or yeah wherever i think it, i i definitely agree with that and i think that you know when you haven't socialized a dog or at least had its exposure to different sized dogs or anything like that and especially little dogs mm. they need to get used to big dogs cuz mm. they do exist and you've got to co coexist yeah. it's you can always tell which dogs have never really left their comfort zone um, and I think it's, I see it a lot around Blackwater Bay, which is, you know, near where I live and we walk that route a lot and you do see a lot of the little dogs have never had the big dog exposure. Mm. And it's very interesting because I think it's really good that they get that exposure young, yeah. um, like when they're puppies, mm -hmm. um, or just do it slowly. It's like the, the interesting thing is the same thing as cats and dogs can live harmoniously it's very easy you just it's exposure therapy mm. and one of the friends who now adopted the greyhound they've got a cat as well and and the owner was like very concerned that um you know rosie would be very against boston the cat and you know it just took exposure they put them between a fence so they could smell each other and over time get used to the, the fact that you two have to live together this isn't a choice you just have to exist in the same vicinity mm. and it was like okay cool so you know like animals do get used to it they just have to get rid of you know used to the smells the behavior or like you know it's it's little things and once they're used to it they just go and forget about like the aggression and the toxicity that you know i guess as owners you kind of create a fear barrier because they're trying For to protect sure. you like yeah. they're trying they're thinking oh i must protect my owner against this giant animal yeah. this like you know but in reality like it it comes from an, a responsibility we as a, as people to be like, well, how would I feel if I was this animal? Like, what would I be thinking? Mm, probably like, you know, that they should get used to it. Or, you know, it's always funny because I love like when some owners I walk past and they go, oh, yeah, my dog's a wuss. Like, just, <laughs> just get scared by anything. And it's like, but you always do wonder, like, especially with like rescue animals and stuff. And I love rescues. I think they're, the you know, the best, you know, 
um, kind of dogs because they come with like you know a whole bunch of personality. Yeah. Um, but some of them have come from traumatic backgrounds, so it's like a lot of them have been abused or you know like mistreated. So when you do see those traits and they do get scared or they do lash out, remember to make them feel safe because that's mm. going to reassure them not to do those traits and it's going to make them feel more at ease and not feel like they don't have to be on the defense. And it's very easy to do um, because, you know, like once they get out of that phase and they sort of realize that everything's very normal and that's their routine in their life, they sort of mellow out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's I feel like when people just ignore that and tell your dog to shut up or something, it's like, you know, don't don't match loud noise with loud noise. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's that's there's so many like psychological things that I keep looking into, especially because I watched like two seasons of The Dog House. Great show. Anyone needs to watch The Dog House. It's I've like, never heard of this. It's it's a <laughs> Channel 10 show. Oh, okay. It's so good. And it's all about like, um uh you know, the fact that people go and get rescue dogs. Cool. And it's yeah. so sweet because some of the dogs like, you know, especially like big dogs against little kids, you know, I think is great because yeah. you grow up with, you know, like different kinds of animals and different kind of like, you know, I particularly like small dogs, like small dogs are my like thing because they're so cute and fluffy, but um, like M likes big dogs um, or medium sized <laughs> dogs. So we're kind of like, you know, if we would ever own a dog, it would be like probably a bit of both. We'd probably get a small dog and a big dog. Yeah. Um, Because we just like animals, but you do kind of see that, I think when pe- families do come in and what they love about animals and what they love about dogs, um, it's, it's, you can kind of see that it, it does come down to that, you know, like, oh, dogs just being friendly. And, and dogs do kind of not always warm to you immediately. It's like mm. it's sometimes they're immediate and then sometimes they're slow. They're like, I'm going to sniff you, then I'm going to leave you alone and sit in my corner until mm-hmm. I know it's safe. Mm-hmm. But I've had my sniff. I think it's okay, but I'm going to remain here. And if you approach them, they're going to be more scared. You kind of just got to let them do their thing. Let them control the situation for sure. Do you find that now as an owner for, you know, 10 years, like what was Dali like when you first got him? Like what was, what was he like? Mm, He was very chill as a pup. I remember picking him up. In the pet shop. Mm. Sorry about that. <laughs> Feel bad about that. Oh no, these don't. Days, but I, you know, oh, I think I, I got my cat from a pet shop. Yeah. I think it wasn't even from a rescue. It was life. back in the day, you know. We yeah, didn't know. You... We didn't know what we know now. Um, but yeah, he he was there with a brother and a sister oh. in this pet shop, and they all looked the same. And I was getting a puppy. It was as a birthday gift oh. from my mother. And, um, but I didn't know which one to choose. And so the girl that was working in the shop, she was like, let me get them all out and you can, you know, sit on the floor and let them run around you and see what their personalities are like. And of the three of them, the brother was just hyper running everywhere, jumping everywhere. Mm. The sister was very, very timid and kind of just sat very far away from me, wasn't interested in coming up to me. And Dali, I remember... Just like, yeah, came up, gave me a little sniff and then just started like walking around the shop, just looking at stuff. <laughs> like as if he was shopping. And I was like, that's the one for me. I like him. He came and said hello and then he was just off on his own. He's beautiful. And then I think that's kind of been his personality his whole life. Like he's friendly. He loves people. He loves other dogs. He'll, but he'll come up and he'll say hi to you. Get his pats, get his treat if you've got one. 
And then he'll just continue on his day. You know? <laughs> like he's he's just an explorer. He just wants to know what's going on. Yeah. Everywhere. He'll go around, have a little sniff at this, pee on it, yeah, walk yeah. over there, pee on that. How he often just, like do you take it when you take him for walks, how often does he pee on things? Oh, he will he is a perpetual peer. Really? He'll stop at every tree and pee on it. And he'll keep Lifting his leg even after, like, the tank's empty. Yeah. He's just got, like, phantom peas. But, but it's just all in his head that he's like, I'm peeing on this tree right now. There's nothing coming out. But he's yes. convinced himself all the way home again. And I have to drag him home. He's oh, He would walk for hours if it was up to him. Wow. Hours and hours and hours. He's unsatisfied if the walk lasts less than an hour. Really? Yes. He gets the shits and he, like, pulls on the lead. If I start taking him home, he gives me this look like... Wow. <laughs> He's, he is, like, a marathon walker. Do you feel fit when you take him for walks? I mean, not... It doesn't feel like exercise, though, because we have to stop every two metres yeah. so he can pee on stuff, so... It just feels like we're meandering on through life. <laughs> That's isn't that the truth about dog walking? It doesn't actually feel like exercise. It feels like a long, just like meandering. Yeah, you just have to stop and then go and then stop and then go. And like, especially, how big is he? He's about the size of a regular house cat. Oh, really? Say. So just like, you know, quite hand. Like quite short, mm. and but long body, I guess, right. but like shorter legs. So like mini legs, like little stumps. P- pretty stumpy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's quite bow-legged as well. He stands, oh, yeah, he's, he stands yeah. like a ballerina and like oh, with his toes pointed out. That's cute. He's a very cute boy, yeah. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, I always find with, we, you know, particularly when, you know, dogs like to go for a walk and stuff, yeah. But I, I, I think it's completely different when we were babysitting Eddie, who, um, this little fluff ball. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd get tied up to 20 minutes and just flop. Um, and Did just you go, have to like scoop yeah, him up? Yeah, 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 carry him. It's like, but it's really funny because with Rosie, the, um, the, she, the greyhound, she would want to walk for like hours. And they were like, in the description, they were like, nah, she likes 20 minute walks, like two 20 minute walks a day. We're like, nah, fuck that. That's like she, she would go for so long. Um, but yeah, same with Sam, like Sam would, we babysat him and, you know, like I remember the owners were like, no, he's only going to poop once a day and, you know, he's probably need like one or two walks. We took him for so many walks and he pooped so often and we're like, you are not pooping just once today. Like, he's putting on a show for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. It like, but it's always funny as well because like, um, I learned, I, I, particularly now with sort of looking after dogs for much, I learned of traveling poops. Where they sort of like poop and then they walk a little oh, bit and then yeah. poop again and then walk a little bit. And poop. Spread it out. <laughs> yeah, like I know. A masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, what is wrong? <laughs> Why can't you just sit there and not shuffle? It's not as exciting. Yeah. Is, <laughs> have you ever, like, you know, taken uh, Dali for a walk and just, like, un- does he do, like, normal sized poops or does he is he an epic pooer? Most of the time, they're pretty proportional to his size but then every now and then you know once every couple of months or so he'll just surprise me with like a massive <laughs> log <laughs> and i'm like darling what have you have you been storing that off? Like, yes. <laughs> what is this what have you been eating 
He he would keep me on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was my favorite though is like when they pick it in your hand and you can't exactly you scoop. Can't like, take a couple of handfuls with the poop bag. Yeah, you're like scoop one, scoop two, tie a knot, yeah. throw it out. <laughs> It's a luxurious life, yes. <laughs> being a dog owner. Yeah, I think it's like um, I've only ever once like left a poop behind. <gasps> I know. I was, I was Criminal. Because <laughs> I, I didn't have a poop bag and I didn't think the oh. dog had any in him. Like, just had leftovers in the tank. And I was like, why? <laughs> why? Have That's you not... when they'll get you yeah, when not... you don't have a poop bag on you. Yeah. And they'll like, be like, surprise. Surprise. i got to do a shit. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Did you feel guilty? I did. I think I went back later and collected uh, it. Oh, legend. Yeah, but I think it's always my favourite in winter is when it's like a steamy one and you... <laughs> you see the air coming off it. I don't know why that's so satisfying as a like a dog sitter or a dog owner is like just watching like, that's a healthy poop. You did, you did good today. I think it's something that you gain an appreciation for after <laughs> after having experience with dogs, you know. Oh my god! Do you think? Do you think that like are you are you particularly like uh, a person who wants to have a family though? Are you or are you very much happy with like being an uh, an auntie? You... I'm an auntie. So you're and through. yeah. So yeah. you're you're kind of like the dog mom and and the auntie. Yeah, I don't see myself having children. <laughs> I like that you used it like it was a dirty word. You're like children. Yeah, those things. No, I love them. I love kids. They're great. I just don't want any that's, of look, my own. That's a hundred percent fair. I mean, you know, what's your enjoyment about like you know looking after your nieces and nephews though? Oh, we just play <laughs> together. I'm basically a kid. I think that's yeah. why I don't think I'd make a very good mom. And I think my nieces and nephews—they're all under seven years old, so they're still little babies. But I think yeah. they've got it in their heads that I'm a kid as well. <laughs> So they get they get so excited when I come and visit and we just play the entire time, imagination games, running around, we play with their toys, we make yeah. up songs, all of it. Cute. And it's adorable, but it's bloody exhausting. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know how parents mm. do it. The whole time. Criminal, yeah. Mm. Do you see yourself having children? I do. Um, I didn't for a while, though. Like, I, I, I will kid you not. I didn't for a while. And I think it's kind of, like, lent out, um, you know, where, you know, it helps because I, I've met someone who I want to have kids with and want to start a family with. But I think definitely if you haven't found that right person, it, it, there's so many things that I say, never say never. But then mm. I'm also, because, I don't know, ironically, that's what my parents told me. And they were like, never say never. Mm-hmm. Um. But I definitely think my mid-20s, I was like, nah, no kids. There's a lot of things I want to do outside of having kids, and I definitely want to be an uncle before being a dad myself. Like a trial run. Yeah, like a trial yeah. run. Here's your child back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I also do find, like, kids a handful as well. But um, it's it's particularly interesting because it was always, like, that dynamic of I love the idea of having kids and sort of taking them to, you know, things and stuff. I get that level of enjoyment out of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, there's so many things I want to do. It's like, you know, that that incentive um, to be like, you know, but I don't think it's really interesting because it's like, I don't think I'd ever really leave the creative industry or, or you know, the arts world when I have kids because I think it's so exciting and interesting. And I think a lot of people, when they have kids, they sort of think that that's, 
the end of their artsy career or you know their their life mm. and i'm like not necessarily it really depends like if you if you want that it, you know because i think like we live in this you know i always say there's like you know 7.8 billion people or 7.6 something like enormous um number of percentage of people on this planet and a lot of children are born in various circumstances that you know might not have parents that want them or anything like that and i think it's very interesting that you know whether i adopt or you know emily and i adopt or have our own biological kids i think is a discussion but i definitely know that we you know that we opened that very early on but i've definitely you know like dated people who never wanted kids and were like nah from the get-go i'm like i think at the time i was like yeah that's fine you know not worried about it but like I don't know. It really depends on the person. It really depends on your life circumstances. And, you know, if I don't have kids until I'm 40, I'm fine with that as well. Like, yeah. I, I don't think it really matters. I don't think there's a life, you know, ends when you have kids. I think it's just a different stage. It's, I feel like people, For sure. um, yeah, it's, it's very weird because I definitely think that, you know, I, the conversation I hear a lot at the moment, especially with people who don't want kids, is they think that life ends when you have kids. I'm like, it definitely changes. It changes, your life, but I don't sure. think it ends. I don't think it's like only the, only if you let <laughs> it. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I I don't know. I I like I I couldn't give you a solid answer to be like yes, no. You know, maybe mm. it really depends what life brings, mm-hmm. um, as well. And you know, I think that's like part of the excitement of life. Um. But yeah, like I do like looking after my cousin's kids. Mm-hmm. I do like that aspect. They're great, um, you know, and seeing watching them grow into you know adults now. Like one of them's just turned into a teenager, and no I'm like, way. oh Jesus, uh, this will be an interesting <laughs> time. Um, yeah, and it's just uh, you know, and and they've discovered so, uh, you know more things about themselves so much younger than I did. Like they, you know, they've they've acknowledged that you know they're queer, that you know, like this is who they are. And I think it's very interesting that kids did that so you know early when you just turned thirteen. Yeah, and, wow. And like, you know, I'm a thirty year old, and I was like, I'm still discovering who I am. You know, you yeah. de- you're very determined <laughs> at thirteen to know who you are. Like, for sure. Do you find with you, you know, your nieces and nephews that they've made decisions so much earlier than you probably do about yourself? Um, I mean. They're still very, very young, so I think their their sense of self self is still kind of yeah. only just in the early stages of mm-hmm. becoming a thing. But I can definitely see them maturing in other ways, way, way faster than I expected them to. Yeah. And yeah, it's just kind of scary and intimidating, but like also quite exciting at the same time Mm. and I don't know if it's just because it's been so long since I was a child (laughs) but um sometimes I'm like shocked at how much they know about the world already and it can be quite confronting as well it's it just puts him into perspective I think like how how quickly that all happens yeah to children um but yeah it's it's really fun to watch them kind of yeah becoming tiny little people. Because did you, did you growing up, do you, do you find, like, what was your biggest revelations during your teenage year? What did you sort of go, this is me and this is my identifying features or, like, know yourself? What was your big turning points? Um, interesting question. 
<laughs> Do you, so my biggest kind of discovery about myself. Yeah. I think that when I was a teenager, I think that's when I, that whole truth about kind of what other people think about you doesn't really matter. Yeah. Kind of became, became a thing for me. Because I beforehand, I was very kind of concerned with what my peers thought of me mm. and what the teachers thought of me and what my family thought of me. And I think when I was kind of like towards the end of high schoolish kind of area, mm. it it kind of dawned on me that I was like, oh, well, they might think, you know, bad things or mm. not very flattering things about me. Um, and that doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> no. Um, do you do you feel like now, especially as an adult, you know that people, un- I guess, like not underestimate you, or but do you feel like people sort of like don't know you, or, or you know? I think people know? overestimate. Me. No, they're like they they think I can do. They this. think I can do things. I can't do. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh. Um, I think people do. I think I do surprise people sometimes. Yeah. I think, yeah, people that think they they know me, they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> Secret enigma. Yeah, I think I I have um a very kind of broad range of interests and and I think. <laughs> What I don't know. I I guess I'm trying to say like you can't pin me down, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, you can't. You can't tell me who I am. Yeah, I think people think that they they know me fully, and then yeah, and, but they never really do. I'm I, an enigma. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's good, isn't it? Because it's like it means you can walk through life. Because it, 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 especially like you know. You know, it goes back to that. What are your interests, and what, what you know, you know, particularly everything. Um, I guess a lot of people kind of associate, you know, especially you know, like women. I think in particular to pin, you know, always put them into categories of like you're like this, and you're like this, and you know, this is mm. this is the lifestyle, and this is like the things you need to do in life. And you're just very much like, yeah, whatever, like, cool, throw it to the wayside and, you know, just do you. Um, But, you know, like, you did that all on, you know, like on your own as well. Like, you know, you've decided to do this all sort of like, you know, life choices, you know, because you live, you live currently on your own. I do. Yes. So that like that, that's kind of not something that most people Especially, you know, I guess most, you know, I know a few women have done it, but like, it's not very common um, as a choice. So I think it's in saying that, though, I think it's it's um, not very common just because I think it's in the area that we are in in Sydney. It's quite impossible, actually, and it's it's almost impossible. For me as well. But I think a lot of people would actually choose to live alone if, yeah. if it was financially viable for them to do so. Oh, God, yeah. I loved. I, I lived alone for two years. It was great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is the best, I must say. But also I think you're right in that it's it's a fairly new kind of idea, I guess, mm. for, for women to like move out and live on their own, move out of their parents' house and, and yeah. live by themselves or, or you know, with 
a share house with friends. Yeah. Rather than moving in with like their their beau or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean it's like I think for me as well, I've always broken the norm. I lived with um I lived with two friends, first off, um, when I first moved out and then I lived with another friend and it was just me and her um together in you know, everyone sort of assumed we were dating and we weren't. True. We just like had two separate bedrooms and slept in two separate rooms. Like it was just very platonic. Mm-hmm. And then I lived on my own for two years and then I moved in with my partner. So it was very much like I didn't ever live the rambunctious, like, the you know, share house life. Share house life. <laughs> I don't think I like, missed out. I don't think I've felt like I missed out. But it, it is interesting because I feel like when I moved it in by myself, was during the peak, peak pandemic. Mm. Like, so I lived in this nice tiny apartment and I loved it. And I sort of got very used to having that lifestyle of like, this is safe and this is, you know, mm. very easy. Um, but yeah, it was interesting now. Like, yeah, it's funny sort of seeing that now. Cause like, yeah, I, w- I, I, the only reason I missed that place is because it was like just such a memory for me. Mm. And you always sort of remember when you live alone. I don't think it's like, cause how long have you lived alone? Probably, yeah, around two years now. Yeah. Two and a half, I think. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no one changes. I just really enjoy my own company, you know? Really? So, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, and I think it's just so wonderful having a, a space that you can well and truly be mm. yourself without any fear of anyone's judgment. and And you can kind of let yourself be mm. without you know putting on some kind of front or for anybody <laughs> do you did you find it difficult moving from living on your own to moving in with uh, someone a little bit but not in the way that i would have thought like it was completely like i think the thing i like is it sort of you know, I think the only thing is working, like you know, focusing on work and actually True. getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes a little more difficult than I get, give it credit for. Mm-hmm. But because, um, you know, like living in your own feels like you have your own office space and you can kind of do anything at any time. Yes. Um, but I do, the thing I do love about living with, especially with a partner, is like you do come home and you've got, you know, your best friend there and everything. Um, but also the thing I loved about living on my own was also the fact that when I came home, I didn't have to see anyone like, yeah. and, it, <laughs> and it's interesting as well because I, I'm very introverted. I like my you know, alone time. I love just watching TV, chilling, mm. doing, doing nothing is how I get my energy and or reading a book. Like it, it really fluctuates. And I think that a lot of the time, you know, like I would go and see people and then after two hours I'd be like, yep, done. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. I'm out, I'm chill. Uh, it's why I never stayed late at parties as well. Mm-hmm. And I think when I lived with three people, uh, like two other people, that was the most difficult, I think, living wise, um, was because there was there was one too many people. I think I could only live with one other person. It's when you add that extra layer because I think it's the way my brain's wired. I just, if I don't have a moment alone, at least some point, I was like, my bedroom's my only safe haven. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm a massive DVD and Blu-ray collector, mm-hmm. I had all of those in my room because there was nowhere to store them in the, the living room. So they would come into my room to grab stuff and watch it. Oh. And I was like, 
never felt like my like any room of the house was safe to yeah. just have me time um but i did also have the biggest room of the like the bedroom of the house so I see. you won i, I did win in the, yeah. like terms of size mm-hmm. um but it, man it was such an old apart um apartment and it was so warm it was so hot like it, it had no air con it was the worst uh, does your place have air con no, no. So That's you, I guess my yeah the the worst downside to my place is that it, it gets freezing cold in the winter <laughs> and boiling hot in the summer. But <laughs> it's a small price to pay, I think. Yeah, me. and I do. I spend a lot of time. I mean, I I've been going on about how much I live. I love living alone, which I do. But I spend a lot of time outside of my home as well. <laughs> I do like I'm quite introverted in that I really like you I need my space to go Mm. to to kind of like retreat to but I also I really enjoy spending time with other people yeah going out and doing things and being places and going to work and yeah going out to the park and all this kind of stuff so I think yeah my my little my little abode (laughs) is my little battle axe is like very much just my my retreat for, yeah. for when I need to, when That's, I need to recharge. Yeah. Do you feel like now that you're getting older as well, like you need to recharge more often than you Absolutely. Used- <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. I've I've been appreciating, yeah, just a, a quiet night with a book yeah. a, lot, a lot more in my older age. <laughs> it's not as many like... Let's go out to this gig yeah. that doesn't even start until midnight, and and yeah. a lot more like hmm, browsing through my library. Like, what shall we read? Jane Eyre or something? Yeah, you know. <laughs> very, 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 very astu- astute with Jane Eyre. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> very classic r- literature. <laughs> Actually, what's your favorite books? What is what is? Well, I do like my classics. I have a a, a vast library. I'm a bit of a book nerd to be honest i love that but my i was actually talking about this to someone recently because i was asked what my favorite books were and i narrowed them down to three and they're all war stories wow that's very specific i didn't intend for that to happen but yeah i really like slaughterhouse five wow okay yep classic all all vonnegut is just amazing Mm. i love catch 22 Yep. And I love this book, Everything is Illuminated. I don't know that one. Yeah, not many people do, but I recommend it. It's a great read, quite yeah. confronting. Okay. But but incredible story and it's kind of, it's got a few different settings. It jumps around a little bit, but it, it's largely set in World War Two. so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was an accident. I didn't mean for that. But apparently I like war stories. I can tell. Like, But war stories, I guess, that are a little bit satirical rather, I mean, than, rather than like, yeah, yeah go like, America or whatever. Catch-22 is a kind of very bleak slash mm. interesting look at, you know. Kind of, yeah. Survival. Like dark humor, for um, sure. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I'm I'm more of a like uh, I love novellas. I love like short stories. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of oh God, like one of my favorite books. I've read. I love Neil Gaiman. I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan. Um, I've read various different Coralines. So mm-hmm. I've read his graphic novel of it. 
I've read the the book, I think, um, which I loved. Uh, it's a great kids book. Um, it's not even really a kids book. It's kind of like a teen book. It's got a lot of like dark elements to it. Yeah. Um, I think those are those are the only two adaptations actually. Um, the comic was great. I can't remember where I got it from. I think it was like in Canada, and um, I also read the um, and, and then I saw the movie, which was the reason I fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love Neil Gaiman. I'm also a big fan of Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula. I love that um, to the nth degree. I think it's also because it's like very mistold it's it's one of those books that i think it's actually yeah Yeah. it's it's adaptations are nothing like the book it's the same with frankenstein another Mm. one um, mary shelley's adaptations are actually nothing like um the book it's very particularly really weirdly different um yeah so a lot of classic literature like you know you think um jekyll and hyde and you know uh, Frankenstein and you know Dracula would have been told properly. No, none of them have been really <laughs> adapted properly because they they're very fundamentally quite grounded stories. Like they're all about like how people deal with situations and how they deal with monsters and everything. And I think a lot of like Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein is just an idiot really in the book. <laughs> he is actually just a moron who makes a monster and then just regrets all his choices once he's created life and he goes and runs away. I just, yeah, I remember reading it. It was many years ago, but yeah. I just remember reading it and it felt like reading the diary of some yeah. like melancholy <laughs> yeah. teenager that was like, what have I done? My life is miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like the monster's actually really intelligent and just goes, What like make me a wife, like make me some, yeah. make me a companion in life. And he's like, oh! yeah. Um it's really it's really interesting because I guess everyone remembers the universal, like the universal monster movies and everything like that. And that's what people remember were the stories. Then you know, like um Jekyll and Hyde ends up with um Dr. Jekyll actually um ending his own life. Because um, he doesn't want anyone to be a victim of Hyde, so he just goes, "You know what? I'm I'm the problem behind everything. So if I do this deed, everyone's gonna be safe." And I'm like, "There was a great video I watched, um, which is online somewhere. I can't remember the the title of it, but um, these great like historian and um, you know, like one's a historical channel and the other one's like about fiction, and they both like analytically talk about it. And yeah, the end thing is like he's like." This is the only scientist in any book that actually takes responsibility for their actions. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's actually quite true. Because it, like, he basically just doesn't go, oh fuck it, you know, I'm gonna like, let everyone die. He just goes, no, nah, I can't deal with it. But I think it's like all the adaptations show it as a tragic, like, hero uh-huh. kind of, uh, you know, or a tragic story, or like, you know, it's it's completely different. But I think you've got to remember that it, like, these stories are about like, you know, people who have made mistakes and whether they own up to their responsibilities. All the responsibilities come down and hunt them down. Like, you know, like that's the point of Frankenstein's monster. The monster is very clever. It's a human, basically. It's just mm. presented with body parts. So it's going to go after its creator to be like, mm, you know, you've done this. Mm-hmm. Take responsibility and help me live. <laughs> like, mm. um, so, yeah, there's a lot of like ambiguity, but I also do love like um, stories that really like. Um, I'm currently reading Stephen King's The Mist. Which uh-huh. have you read that? No. It's uh, it's, it's like they're they're. Is it creepy? It is creepy. It is like very unsettling. It's um, it reminds me a little bit of H. G. Wells. It's it's him him as a writer, and I often think this H. G. Wells and Stephen King are very similar, just in in certain aspects of how they see things, and I think it's like um, all I remember is H. G. Wells um, 
uh, what is it? War of the Worlds. Mm, great book. I just read that. It's great. I love it. Although it's really, really weird. It, 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 I struggled <laughs> with it. Uh, no, I only really love it though that the opening scene is literally a guy in a tree just yeah. like, just going and hiding for ages. Just go, the world sucks. Like, but it, um, yeah. What did you What did you dislike about it? I okay, <laughs> controversial opinion because I know that it, it's obviously just it is probably his best known and yeah. best loved book. Um and I've been reading a fair bit of HG Wells recently and I think that one War of the Wells was maybe the third or fourth one that I read mm. and I loved the other ones that I read. I was like these are great stories, they're captivating. War of the Worlds, I just found that it was the narrator was just kind of spent the first maybe 14, 15 chapters being like, oh, the horrors, <laughs> the horrors, they're coming, the Martians are coming. <laughs> and it he didn't even describe the Martians for like 14. I was like, who? Who's coming? Tell me about them. I want to know, like, what's going on? But he just kept talking about like the big cylinders that landed and, yeah. then, you know, people start dying because they've got like heat rays or whatever. Yeah. So everyone just starts running away being like, oh my God, they're coming for us. And it took a long, long time to actually get to the heart of the story. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's probably not like the... It was a the, slow burn. It's sure. also like The Invisible Man, which I feel like... I was, loved that one. I feel like that's a slow burn though as well, <gasps> but in a different it. way. <laughs> I really? guess so, yeah. I, I love that you love that. <laughs> <laughs> I found it really... Funny. It made me laugh out loud. It's it's pseudoscience is hilarious though. It's like how it works. And he's like, Oh, oh I'm fragmented thing. of light. Yeah. And like And I just loved the the attitude of the invisible <laughs> man. He was so like scorned and like very he was even though he did this to himself. Yeah. And then he spends the entire book <laughs> being like, Fuck you all, I'm invisible, this sucks. Like, yeah, but then he gets kind of beaten up and tricks on people. And... Yeah, he gets beaten up by a mob, like at the end. Yeah, well he deserves it. He's, <laughs> yeah. a, he's an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, he is. But I like didn't the invisibility just make him go mad as well? Like he just kinda like was oh, driven. Is that part of... I thought he was just a, a uh, Yeah, bad I thought guy. he was just a bad No, I think it was like also the fact that he couldn't be seen kind of drove him a little bit like nuts. Well, I feel yeah. like that would have added on to his interest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. It's a double-edged sword. Like, yeah. he, he can get away with a whole <laughs> lot, which he, he does. Yeah. But then also, yeah, no one can see him. No one yeah. sees him. No, who he no, really, really is. is. <laughs> Do you, are you a big horror fan? Or are you kind of like a... I'm a scaredy cat, but I like horror. Interesting. But I spend most, most horror movies and things like with my eyes closed kind of shrinking down in my seat i love that <laughs> um if you want a recommendation of any sort of like story uh-huh. um the woman in black i've heard good things i love that um the movie's okay the play mm-hmm. is fantastic and the book is also great like um so it was a book first then was turned into a play and then was made into a movie with daniel Radcliffe, uh-huh. <laughs> which is just very weird because it's clearly like him just out love of Harry Potter. Him. Love yeah. for him. <laughs> Straight first roll out of Harry Potter and just look at the entire film and go, <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Victorian. Um, but yeah, it's like this great story about this house that, um, you know, is haunted by this woman 
and you sort of like look at it through and i think the play adaptation is really quite scary as well because i remember there's this scene where a lot of the time the he's talking to people and then you just see this figure of the woman mm. walk around the like the set and you're just like unsettled by her existence and i think that's it's really cool it's yeah. so clever it's done. hard to make like a live performance scary I yeah think. i've i've seen two live performances scary ones and that was one of them and the other one was a like i think an amazing i think it was swedish or it was russian i can't remember it was like um it definitely wasn't an english production but um it was this amazing amazing production they'd um called horror and it was sort of like this movement piece mm-hmm. and the entire thing was movement there was no dialogue and it was just really unsettling because there were just scenes that suddenly were just encapsulating like moments where it was body contortion and stuff like that they this one of the performers could do and i just remember sitting there and just going it's the score it's the you know like everything down to the performances and you know like the live on set like you know body parts that were flying around it was like <laughs> really unsettling but there were just scenes that i was like oh my god this is just like really like i was thinking about it the next day and i was like god this is actually quite creepy like to Impressive. see real and i think that's more unsettling than watching in a movie and i'm like mm, sure sure sure. Yeah. sure 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 like i'm sure these people are dead uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah when you see it on stage uh, but i like i definitely also think that i the wonders about books is you can always like the translation mm-hmm. um you can describe things and i think they're more scary in your head than mm. they ever could be like in real life um of course because you're putting your you're making it into what you're yeah. most scared of i guess subconsciously yeah i mean like are you do you think that you prefer books over movies um, mm, asking you a big question. Mm, can anyone say that with I mean, certainty? Like, depends on adaptations. Like adaptations of books. Like, like let's be specific. Adaptation. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Well, then books are always better <laughs> yeah. than the movie adaptation, I guess, because you know it's they're more personalized. Like you said, you, you're it's your it's what's in your mind, and mm. you know you get to picture a book exactly how you want it yeah. to be. And also it just gives a lot more room for – room to play, I guess. Like a movie can be very limiting in, okay. within like time and budget and performance and all of those factors, obviously. Whereas if you're reading a book, it can be anything you dream of, you know. Yeah. So – clearly wartime for you <laughs> apparently apparently i just want to be a little soldier yeah. <laughs> um i do want to bring us back to acting as well um so acting is something you you still want to pursue like long term in life do you think or is it kind of like something that's taken the back seat mm-hmm. these days I mean, it's currently sitting in the backseat, but it's still there, you know, yeah, tapping like... on my shoulder, you know, backseat driving. Like, it's, it's, it will always be my first love, I think. Yeah. And it'll always be the thing that I go back to. Um, but it's just hard, really. Mm. It's, a, it's a cruel, cruel world out there for actors <laughs> or, or wannabe actors, I guess. So, yeah. I think... It's it's something that I, I still always come back to. Yeah. Um, I guess these days it's more of just a, like a, a hobby kind mm. of thing rather than a career pursuit, I guess. Yeah. That but makes sense. I don't know. It, it, it is something that I've always loved and will always love, I think. 
<laughs> Forever and always. Forever and always. It's I mean, that's to be. That's awesome. Do you feel like now, though, as an you know, that it's what do you think is particularly harder now that the older you get? Um, find a finding roles mm. f- that fit me, and b finding the time to pursue those roles yeah. and other other acting role things i think because yeah the these days i've i've got bills to pay and i've got like you know rent to pay and i've got family things and and my other creative pursuits and work yeah. and everything it it just makes it hard i guess sometimes to to find the time that's needed to to commit to it 100%. Mm. Um, and then also, yeah, I guess now that I'm not, like, 20 years old and, like, <laughs> young and fit and hot, like, it's harder to find roles yeah. for myself. But <laughs> I like that you were, like, young and fit and hot. Like, it was, <laughs> like that only happens when we're young. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, for some of us. <laughs> I mean... Do you, do you feel like also though that you you know get older and then suddenly you just feel like the roles kind of shrink for you of what you can do? Mm, yeah, in my in my experience, yeah, I've I've had my kind of opportunities limited yeah. a little bit lately as opposed to when I was yeah, kind of what fresh ro- in the game. What what roles would you want to play? Like, what are your ideal roles? I mean, I love everything, but I guess I'm pretty much always lean towards more like comedic roles, and I like things that are a little bit surreal and absurd as well. <laughs> <laughs> you like comedies? I like comedy. Yeah, I'm always um, more into theater as well i think as really to, like i like everything but i've i've got a a love for the theater the theater yeah <laughs> so, and i think at the moment there's um yeah not a lot out there from what i've seen for for me yeah hmm. um is that anything particular that you think sets you apart yeah i'm just really cool <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think I can bring things to the table. I'm sure you can. <laughs> I mean, like, I I, th- I do think the theatre industry is particularly, like, very clicky, probably. Like, they like yeah. working with the same people all the time. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's interesting that you talk about, like, auditioning and, and like, finding the time to do things. <laughs> There's a mosquito buzzing around. <laughs> it was. It just flew by. Um. Yeah, I always find that quite interesting because a lot of a lot of the time it's either you you know you take fifty percent of your time to make it into the industry and and make zero profit mm. um, and burn more money than you you know. But I feel like it's like um, it goes back to like you know um, a lot of other podcasts that and a lot of my friends who run podcasts we talk about regularly as well is what kind of defines us and what makes us. And realistically, it's probably like, I I always think it's interesting when people talk about like, oh, my youngness appeals to the creators and stuff. I feel like, you know, natural aging and being an adult and, you know, like we we very much limit people 
don't we? Very early on, mm. we're like, this is your box and this is forever where you will stay and you will never leave it and that yeah. is fine. And But as, you know, people, we constantly evolving and changing and, you know, like in 10 years, 15 years, you, we won't be the same people like as we are right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be different, but that's okay. And I feel like when we sort of go for roles and when we sort of like see there's so many different characters that are able to be made and you know particularly like that and i feel like a, a particular you know do you feel like people try especially with theater like trying to always put you into certain roles or or you know or do you want to be like a bit more other other types of roles i think i um looking back mm. i think i get cast quite frequently as like two things mainly i've had some great roles and i love them all but i usually get cast either as the dumb blonde (laughs) yeah or like the the damsel in distress right and great roles super fun especially the dumb blonde that's um that's a a really fun one to play around with but it can be quite limiting, I think. And yeah. I think there's not really a lot else out there. I, I think I'm in a bit of an awkward age at the moment where I'm at the end of my 20s and I'm too old now to play, like, the the young hottie, as I was saying before. <laughs> The, the leading lady, you know, and I'm too young to play the mum, which, yeah. is, which is one of the other big roles that are out there for, for yeah. women, I guess. So I, I think I'm just kind of in that awkward, mm. awkward middle area. And um, obviously there are some great, great roles out there, but it's when there's, you know, 500 other ladies <laughs> like me also auditioning for the role it can be a bit kind of yeah brutal i think it's a, it's interesting as well because i feel like you sort of grow to a point where like you know as, as great as those you know roles are that you've done in the past you kind of get, go to i want to do other things and mm. you want to do those like more challenges um, especially, it's interesting that you sort of mentioned the mother things as well because yeah we are we are about that age where mm-hmm. we're suddenly like well, we're not young. We're not spring yeah. chickens anymore. No. Um, but we're not, you know, parents. Yes. We're so not old people. We're not. <laughs> we're not old people. <laughs> we're old-ish, but we're not older. old. Um, and I think you know it's it's interesting because you know, especially with this year as well. Like you know, I just turned thirty. And I was like, oh, okay, my metabolism's really slowing down. I've got to do a lot more things to kind of, like, stay healthy and stay fit and, you know, at least be well off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, like, that mentality when, you know, my early 20s, I was like, I don't have to do jack shit to mm-hmm. kind of stay, in, like, this hot and this amazing. Mm-hmm. Now you need to do all the work. Yeah. And I think it's sort of like, it's interesting when I see people younger than me, like, especially like when they're in their early 20s and I go, this will not be forever. <laughs> like, you kind of have to, uh, you ha- now I understand what my parents were saying. Yeah. <laughs> it's suddenly yeah. it all hits real. You um, take it for granted, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you really do. You? <laughs> but I think as, you know, it's also part of the reason that I think, you know, roles 
are now expanding, especially, you know, for people like you, um, you know, in your position, because they, there are many roles that d- didn't exist. But I think the whole, I think the way Hollywood puts it and the way, you know, especially Australian industry put it is very limiting. They kind of always try and put everyone into boxes. And I think that's mm. the damaging side of especially young performers and you know, performers like us or, you know, platforms like us because they're like, oh, unless you're like Oscar bait, you're not, you're not worth investing yeah. in. And I think that's really interesting because then it's like, you know, you only see the fa- same five actors in all the drama roles and everything. And, you know, mm. no one has any opportunity to really grow as performers because then they're cast into side characters that have like one or two lines mm. rather than, you know, get to be in like, you know, a recurring character or, you know, like something like that. And you actually get time to explore and learn and, you know, and put more focus and challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. There's none of that now as like there used to be. You either crack the seal and get the right role or that's it. Like, is that frustrating mm-hmm. to you? Is that part of the reason you like you put it on the back burner as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's one of those things where if you could just get that one role that could kind of um yeah, propel you a little bit further and mm. and give you the opportunity to showcase your skills, I guess. Yeah. Then um it would make everything a whole lot easier, but if you're if you're just perpetually going to auditions for roles in, you know, small roles in Mm. web series and things and commercials and things like that and it can be really kind of disheartening Mm. I guess and it makes you kind of question like oh you know what am I doing this for like is it ever gonna be am I ever gonna get to do the things that I that I really want to do yeah do you think do you think there's you'll eventually be able to do them do you think there's opportunities that you'll you know be able to crack into is that that's I mean, you never. can't give up hope you know <laughs> as soon as you give up hope you lose you're done yeah. <laughs> so i think they'll there's always going to be that push that like um you know maybe i'll get the role of my dreams one mm. day i'll get to like play around with it a bit more but i think as of late it's more my mindset has kind of turned more towards um i'm gonna have to make that role for myself yeah and yeah put on my own production i guess rather than than being in someone else's isn't that the way it's like you know we get into this point where we're like we've either got to make our own thing to mm. crack it because yeah. no one else is going to invest that's it um <laughs> it's it's very interesting because i feel like yeah and i don't think there's any right or wrong answer uh, you know because i don't think i've gotten to the point where i've been able to crack it either mm-hmm. <laughs> so not telling anyone that um but it's interesting because people like automatically think i've made it like they're like oh you run a podcast you've you know you do all these things and i'm like i barely like you know, have made it, I guess, in my mind, I'm sort of like still trying and, you know, you know, trying to do all these things. Mm. And it's really interesting because I don't think, you know, as people, we're always trying to look for perfection and, you mm. know, that's satisfaction. But I think as artists, we're always kind of go, it's impossible. Like, you know, and it, it, it you know, like it is impossible. Like, I don't yes. think I'll ever truly be satisfied with everything I've ever done. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, that's, that's part of life. It's sort of, you just got to be content like and just deal with it mm. like mm. it's 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 very interesting and i think it's probably also reason why i made a lot of my own stuff 
um, as well, because I was like, I'm keen to see people that I know and stuff, you know, like, let's make it because it's, it's kind of where the fun is. And if I'm not always working with the same people, I'm working with a bunch of different people. It's really fun. It's really challenging. It's, you know, it's a bit unique. Mm. Um, but yeah, when we all sort of live into this sort of like cocoon where everyone's like, oh, I need to be a serious actor. And I'm like, well, you are a serious actor, but you know, like you can also have fun because this whole industry is meant to be fun. And the moment you sort of like, Oh, no, I have this conversation regularly, but I think <laughs> when you take it so seriously that it doesn't become fun, stop doing it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's got to be fun. It's Life is too short to stress day to day. Otherwise, yeah, it just becomes another job, I guess. Yeah. If you, if, as soon as you stop kind of doing it for the, for the love of it. Then, yeah. Then I think that's, I guess that's the only reason that any of us kind of got into this industry in the first place like no one's like oh you know i've got to pay my rent so i better get a job as an actor like like, we do it because it's fun for us and we love it and yeah yeah as soon as you you're not having fun anymore then that's that ruins it for everyone i guess yeah and it's time to to take a step back and and not and reevaluate, reevaluate, yeah. and rethink. Mm. But I think I I think it's admirable and awesome how much stuff you make. <laughs> I think <laughs> and, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a little bit crazy, but it's really cool as well. And I think I yeah, I, I think that's the way to go mm. is to just make your own stuff because I don't I don't know. Do you feel like you've got more kind of control over I think so I it's it's very trial and error I think I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. um it's very stressful I will admit I I think wrangling is is probably the most stress but I think what I love particularly is like the day like when you get to make something you're filming something or you're recording something like that day once that everything's there it's great like it's the best feeling Organizing all that is the most stress-inducing thing. It's like <laughs> hours and hours of prep. Um, but yeah, like there's, I don't think I've ever stopped. I think I've like there was something about me when I was like eleven years old, and I remember I was eleven or twelve. I was making a short film with my dad, and I've done that ever since. Like I was a kid, I got a vi- you know a camcorder and stuff like that, and I've mm-hmm. just done it ever since I was a kid. Um, I've always just been like, okay, cool. If no one can help me, I'll go and do it by myself, like kind of thing. And, you know, it's that, it's that mentality of not trying to let anything stop you and realizing it goes back to that thing I was um, saying, which is perfection is impossible. Like it's like nothing I make will be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's fun for me though. And I think step away from a project when it's no longer fun. Like there's a few stories that I, I worked so hard on it and I haven't abandoned them, but I stepped away from them. Because I was like, this isn't funny. Well, this is a lot of stress. Mm. So I'm going to come back to these maybe in a year or maybe in two years and then rework on them. Like, you know, like give yourself a break because everything's got to be fun. Everything's got to be enjoyable, especially when you're not always making money from it. Like Mm. you're kind of like, you've got to realize it's a hard industry to crack and I'm not here to crack it. I'm here to enjoy it while it's there and live my best life. Yeah. doing it um you know whether that means i you know have to do a full-time job elsewhere to make ends meet or anything else like mm-hmm. that's my mentality that's really cool yeah <laughs> i like that 
I mean, it's 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 the way I feel like people need to go as well, and I feel like, but I also I always say that you know no idea is dumb, and you know, and anyone's idea is like clever and smart, and you know you might not always see eye to eye, but I I think that passion and drive, uh, uh, you know, is one of the funnest like the, is the only thing that keeps us moving forward and i think it's like one thing that i i just never go oh you know like something bad will happen or someone will be, you know like be like oh i can't do this or you know like um you know, someone pull out or something and that'll stress me and then but i'm like the next day i'm like all right cool let's sort this out and you know <laughs> deal with it and i'm very like always that mentality of never letting yeah something define you know that particular moment and i think that's the only way you get things done because if you constantly beat yourself up about something that didn't go the way it was meant to go, you're never going to get anything done. You're just yeah. going to self-deprecate and self-focus. Just and chew on it forever. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I think I think that's the only thing. But I also think that, uh, you know, like, um, you know, with, like, look, you know, this year I've, I've got a few other things that I want to do. Or this this year i mean like it's not even 2023 yet but by the time this comes out it will be 2023 but yeah like in that year i plan to do some more stuff and you know like i might be like oh hey farron you want to come on and do this when you've got time and you know be like that because i always like like working around people's insane schedules uh-huh. it's like <laughs> and whenever days are free but um yeah it's like one of those things that i always just think what do people want to do and what do they like yeah try and negotiate and stroke into hmm <laughs> that's my mentality that's really awesome do you do you see yourself kind of continuing down this path of of making content making content <laughs> I <laughs> hope hashtag so. content hashtag content <laughs> i hope so yeah, I, cool. but, um but i mean like it's like it's like yourself and other people who come on like the podcast i you know initially thought it would only go for six episodes now it's gone for a year a year and a half two years that's wild. so it's like i've been recording since 2020 so it's like nuts mm. um so yeah like there's no real end do you do you feel like the same though do you think like you need to start making content now like, or with the stuff you make, do you think you'll, you know, with the music, do you think you'll stop, like, just after you've done some recording? Or do you think you keep no, doing No, I that? think it's ignited something in me. I love that. <laughs> and I've got, like, so many ideas mm. just swirling around inside me that I think need to find their yeah. place in the world. So I think <laughs> it's it's definitely something that I just want to begin pursuing. <laughs> <laughs> Whether... Whether or not it actually goes anywhere is, yeah. is, you know, I'll leave that up to chances. But, like, I don't know. I think it's worth taking a shot at it. Yeah. And um, giving it a go. <laughs> Can I just say, I absolutely 100% am backing you on this. I think, Thanks, yeah. man. <laughs> I, love, I love that. That's so much, like, enthusiasm to, like, <laughs> to see where the chaos brings you. My album will drop in 2023. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't know. I'm putting it out there. Maybe that'll inspire me to. I'm holding you as that quote. (laughs) Sure. Put it, put it out there. Put it as the tagline for this episode. Done. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I'm going to use this as a perfect point to wrap us up, Farron. But but I will say I've loved this chat. You're such an enthusiastic and lovable person. Thanks. Um, Now, my first question to you before we wrap up, where can people stalk you? Where can they find you on the internet? Um, The best place is probably my Instagram. It's at yuckdisgusting 
on Instagram. Follow me there if you want to see pictures of my dog and other things. Why is it called Yuck Disgusting? Everyone asks that. Honestly, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That's just maybe what was going through my mind at the time. But it's stuck. (laughs) I'm Yuck Disgusting. That's who I am. (laughs) I love that. Um... But no, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. <laughs> Amazing. And if you want to go and check out more episodes of the things we do, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.